Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another podcast hosted by Exercises Medicine at UCSD, where we're committed to raise awareness about exercise for health and well-being. EIM also helps promote professional development in the diverse careers of sport med- sports medicine. My name is Emily. Uh, I'm a member of EIM helping to co-host this week's episode. And since this, this is a live stream, be sure to drop your questions in the chat, everyone. And um, I'm Catherine, one of EIM's professional development coordinators and the second co-host for today's informational interview. Um, just a little disclaimer before we start, we are not medical or fitness professionals and the information we discussed today is just for entertainment purposes. And as such, it is not to be misconstrued as medical advice. And continuing with intros, I'm Ashley. I'm EIM's president for this year. And I'm so excited to be introducing this week's guest of honor, one of our very own UCSD sports dietitians, Nicole Frankie. Um, Now, Nicole, I've had the pleasure of hearing you speak once before, um, but to bring everyone else up to speed, do you mind introducing yourself and a little bit more about the role of a sports dietitian with UCSD Athletics? Yeah, um, so like Ashley said, my name is Nicole Frankie, and I am the assistant sports dietitian here at UCSD, working with all our scholar athletes. Um, This year, I know, is a little bit different with the pandemic, but uh, we are working on campus. You know, it looks a little bit different than this year than it did last year. Um, but still super exciting um, to be back on campus with our UCSC athletes. Um, I do have one counterpart. Um, her name is Jasmine Chu, and she is the other sports dietitian on campus. So together, her and I kind of work together uh, to feed 500 athletes, about 500 athletes every day. So it can be quite a handful. And especially with the pandemic, things are a lot different this year um, than they were last year, of course. Um, but still absolutely exciting to be back on campus and working hard, staying safe, you know, staying, you know, as healthy as we can um, during these crazy times. And now you said that, um, that it is very different, obviously, today versus like last year with COVID. Um, Do you mind like walking us through maybe a day of your work uh, pre-COVID and then maybe a day in your work Uh, now that COVID's, you know, COVID's a thing now. Yeah, yeah, of course. So last year, um, so our office on campus is in the Spanos Athletic Facility. So it was very nice because athletes, um, depending on their sport, they would go in at certain times and be working with our strength and conditioning trainers and have, you know, a lot of times where they would work out and do certain lifting programs based on their sport. And then um, basically across the turf was our office, um, which was really awesome. So we could kind of interact with athletes when they were coming in and out, in and out, um, and then primarily providing them recovery snacks at what we call our fueling station. Um, So fueling station started, I wanna say, in the mid 2010s, it was passed by the NCAA, you know, they kind of saw this gap in athletes diets because they have class and workouts and competition. Um, So it was something that, you know, was passed to help provide athletes with snacks. Um, So what we do is we provide um, protein and carbohydrate snack options for them um, for after their workouts. Um, And then of course, when they were traveling last year and competing and things like that, we provided um, like workout snacks and travel snacks and stuff like that. Um, So like, I know when our teams would go to Hawaii and stuff, we would kind of pack them like little travel baggies of different snacks. So they didn't have to rely just on like airport food and things like that. Uh, So this year it is a little bit similar, obviously not doing competition snacks, things like that. Um, And then of course, with our athletes not being able to work out in Spanos, because of course it's very small. (laughs) Um, So to have all their athletes, they're all working out outside right now. Um, So they're on our track um, and also um, on our soccer field. Um, area working out. So we bring the snacks to them. Um, so we've actually hired a couple student workers because it's a lot of food to move. Because um, depending on the days, we have like 400 athletes working out every day. Um, so we'll provide different snacks for them. So we have, you know, some student workers that help us out. Um, but it's great too to still kind of interact and, you know, be that friendly face. Um, so if they have questions um, or a lot of times they'll like maybe not grab the best combination. So, you know, it's a good educational opportunity um, to make sure they're grabbing those carbohydrates and those protein um, because those have been really well researched um, in the importance of muscle recovery for athletes. What kinds of snacks do you provide? Like, are they like pre-made like actual meals or just like packed snacks? Like- 
Yeah, last year. Um, so normally in preseason, we would provide teams with breakfast and lunch during preseason. Um, obviously, preseason was cut very short this year because of COVID. We really only had our basketball teams there for about two weeks. Um, so we relied more heavily on like Instacart and, you know, indiv- um, ordering through individual companies. Um, just those things were prepackaged, um, pre-made and kind of delivered um, just for safety purposes with everything going on. But last year we did work in making meals for people. So we would make like overnight oatmeal for breakfast. We made um, like yogurt parfaits. And then for lunch, we would like grab out the crock pot and Instapot and we would make um, different meals and stuff. Cause preseason was not 500 athletes. It was about like 200, which is still a lot. Um, but it was a little more manageable to make larger batches of food then. Um, but right now it's just predominantly a snack. So it kind of varies. Um, so we have like granola bars, we have fruit, we have different chips, like goldfish pretzels, things like that. Um, because those salty snacks are really important because they have those electrolytes in them, um, for when our athletes are sweating and you're losing those, um, salt losses through sweat. And then we always have protein options too. So we have soy milk, chocolate milk, we have beef jerky, hard boiled eggs, yogurt. Um, it kind of varies. We have two vendors. We order through Costco business center and then Cisco, which Cisco's a really big one. They deliver a lot of the food on campus to the dining halls. Um, so kind of depending on what our vendors have available, you know, kind of what's on sale, we always try and find new stuff because, you know, food can get boring. So we do try and our be- do our best to provide different snacks for them, um, to kind of, you know, keep some variety in there as well. I know Costco has at least when I shop at Costco, Costco has everything I could ever want. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anytime anything goes on sale, the athletes are like, they're back. And I was like, I know the discounts back. We're so excited. So it's, it's like exciting. Like they got excited over peach cups the other day, like the little fruit cups. I don't know why they were so exciting. I was like, I guess we can order more. I didn't know you were so excited about peach cups. So it's the little things sometimes for sure. And they have like freaking big portions all the time. Yeah, yeah. Some of our athletes, especially some of our male athletes that are working out a lot, you know, trying to put on weight. I mean, they eat like three, four, maybe 5,000 calories a day, depending on the person. So it can be quite a job for some of them <laughs> to actually be able to eat enough in the, in the day sometimes. So I know, you know, obviously that you work with an athletic population. Have you, you know, in your past experiences worked with, I guess, more of like a general population or maybe even just like kids? And how do you think, I guess, in simple terms, diets might differ? Like I know calories might be um, really different from like an athlete to just a regular person. So, yeah. 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 So actually currently, um, so at UCSD, Jasmine um, and I are both part-time employees. So kind of depending on the university, like some bigger universities, they may have five or six dietitians that work full-time on staff. So it kind of depends. So a lot of big schools with football teams, they may have one dietitian that only works with the football team. And then bigger universities too, some of them will have a dining hall that is just for athletes. So they may have a dietitian that works there to kind of help develop the meals and the menus um, in that dining hall as well. Um, So we don't have all of that, you know, extra stuff. So just between the two of us, it's kind of a perfect balance um, to work with both teams. Um, But because I'm part-time there, I actually do work as a clinical dietitian too. Um, So I do work in the inpatient setting. So I was actually worked this morning <laughs> working in the inpatient setting. So there I work with the general population, um, which is really fun because I'm working, I've worked with the NICU, so I've worked with um, the neonatal intensive care unit, so with preterm infants. Um, so I've worked there. So that is obviously very different needs being like a four or five pound baby versus an athlete that's 150 pounds and putting on weight. Um, so it's a lot of using my brain, which I really like. And then, you know, just having your general populations, you know, having the elderly population, it really does vary, you know, calories are different for every single age group, you know, what's going on with that person, do they have other conditions, are they just in the hospital because they have the flu or just COVID, you know, different things like that. Um, And then I think with athletes, you know, the big thing for them is they may read articles or go on Google and Google things, you know, very Dr. Googly, you know, but they'll look at things and be like, I can't eat that, or I can't eat this. Um, so it's honestly a lot of education. Like you are athletes, you are kind of your own little niche, right? Like you don't, you know, the normal doesn't really apply to you in some sense. Um, because there's days where they're working out for two or three hours a day. You know, right now there are a lot of teams aren't at that level. They are really working to slowly get them back into activity since so many were limited over the summer with COVID. Uh, but that's something that, you know, as that activity goes up, we really work hard to, you know, educate them to make sure they're eating 
getting enough. Cause in a lot of cases, athletes are like, I skip breakfast and then I have class for three hours and then I have practice. So, you know, they typically will miss a lot of, you know, some meals and snacks. So, you know, working on the education with them a lot, um, for sure is a big component of the job too. So I guess going back to like how you got into your role as a sports dietitian, what did your educational journey uh, sort of look like? Yeah. So I ran track in high school and that's kind of what got me started in being like, okay, like, what do I want to do with my life? You know, I, I wasn't really sure. Um, you know, and I, my mom is a nurse, so she was trying to like push me into nursing and I was like, I don't know if I can do nursing. I'm not sure. Um, but I always was very interested in nutrition. You know, some of our coaches would always be like, Oh, eat this and not that. Um, so I had that interest. Um, but originally I was actually looking into going to physical therapy, um, when I w- first went to school and then I was like, I don't, know if I want to do it like I wasn't really sure um and then I when I chose what school I wanted to go to then I was like okay I'm going to do nutrition um so I actually went to Penn State University for my bachelor's degree um so I was my major was nutrition I did take a lot of kinesiology classes I was like three credits short from the minor because it didn't tell me the minor um, requirements until like my senior year. So I was like three credits short. Um, But I love taking like the exercise science. I took neuroscience. Um, I took a couple different classes, which I really liked because that kind of did immerse me in the, you know, sports science side of, you know, athletics. So while I was there, I completed a, I think it was my sophomore year. I was in a class that was all about sports nutrition that was led by the sports dietitian at Penn State. And then I completed an independent study with her. Um, so during the fall semester of my junior year, um, I worked with her um, doing body composition testing, um, education with teams, individual athlete consults. So kind of similar to what I do now. Um, so it was a really good immersion into the field. And I was like, this is kind of exciting. Like, I really like this and then continue to volunteer with her. And I was actually the teaching assistant for that course during my senior year as well. Um, So that was just kind of how I got introduced into sports nutrition. And then to become an actual dietitian, um, you have to complete what they call a DPD program. So it's a didactic program in dietetics. Um, So basically it kind of provides you that base core information in nutrition um, to be able to um, apply for a dietetic internship where you get further field experience um, in different areas like clinical wellness, um, food service, um, I did some time in WIC too. Um, so just kind of getting that varied experience um, to be able to sit for your exam. Um, so like for me example, I got my bachelor's and my master's are both in nutrition, um, whereas Jasmine had another career first and then she um, did online school and got the DPD courses and got her master's in nutrition. So there are some different routes that you can take, which is really fun. Um, and then they are making it required to have your master's by 2024 um, is what the new credentials will be. Um, but since I already have mine, I get grandfathered in, but I just kind of wanted to add that to my experience and my education, um, which I'm really happy I got it when I did um, because I don't want to go back to school. <laughs> uh, so I got it like right away <laughs> after my bachelor's. Um, but that's kind of the route that I took, I guess, um, to get where I am today. Sounds like a long journey, but rewarding. A little bit, yeah. It was probably like seven, six, no, eh, four, five, yeah, about six and a half, seven years. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. um, going back to like the types of patients you treat um as for athletes are they mainly like also like track and field athletes or do you like you treat like a lot of like other types and like do those athletes um are you just trying to like maintain their diet or are they more so like do they more so have more problems like eating disorders Um, Yeah, so I work last year we worked with, um, you know, Jasmine, I would just get consults from different um, like strength trainers um, or the athletic trainers um, would reach out and be like, hey, I have this athlete that's injured or they're not performing well. And they'll kind of link us up with those athletes or athletes can reach out to us individually um, to meet. Um, So last year I worked with all the teams. And then this year I'm predominantly with track and field, men's and women's tennis, men's and women's rowing, swim and dive, men's golf, fencing and cross country. Um, so I kind of work with all those teams. Uh, so it kind of varies by athlete, you know, who comes to us and who is referred and then we'll meet with them. A lot of times it might just be something as simple as, I don't know if I'm eating enough food, like, and then we'll go through, we'll talk about what they're eating in a day, you know, depending on their sport, if they want to gain weight, lose weight, you know, things like that, then I'll go and calculate, you know, their individual needs. And we do a lot, what we call fueling plans. Um, so it's just kind of a good visual tool 
to get that athlete in the mindset of, okay, if I'm up at this time, maybe I should have breakfast here. This is what a breakfast would look like. And just kind of give them an idea of what a day of eating would look like. Um, so we'll talk about that a lot with um, individual athletes. And then with each team, we typically do a team talk. Um, so those team talks will be, um, just kind of basic nutrition, like what's a carb, what's a protein, what's a fat, you know, talking about specific athlete needs with hydration, recovery, nutrition, and then we, um, we'll do other talks too, depending on the team. So we'll do some on competition, nutrition, alcohol and performance, uh, supplement safety and performance. We've done them on immune health before. Um, so we've kind of been touching on immune health a lot this year, a little bit with nutrition. Um, but yeah, it really varies, which is honestly a lot of fun. Um, but we do get those consults too for athletes that have eating disorders or even just kind of disordered eating, whether it's intentional or unintentional. And then our athletes that are injured. So I know we've had athletes last year who tore their ACL or had ankle injuries ligament injuries. So typically we'll meet with them uh, and talk about collagen uh, supplementation. Um, collagen has kind of come around and research in the last couple of years. They found that it's really effective in helping to repair and rebuild those tissues in the ligaments, tendons, joints, things like that. Um, so we will give them collagen supplementation for them to take um, because the research is there where it's like you can see in the research on MRIs and some studies that, that that bone and tissue growth really gets boosted by that collagen. Um, so there is that sports science, you know, research, you know, kind of keeping up with current research part of the job too. Do you find that you uh, enjoy like the researching part more or do you enjoy like, you know, hands-on working with either your student uh, or your scholar athlete um, population or, you know, your inpatient population? Um, I kind of like both. Um, so during COVID, we obviously were just teleworking for UCSD. Um, so as well to be a dietitian, you have to do 75 credits of continuing education every five years. Um, so I took a lot of that time during COVID to watch, you basically get them through webinars or attending conferences, things like that. Um, so I took a lot of that time and watched a lot of different um, webinars. So I watched some on COVID and nutrition and the inpatient setting. I watched some on athletic populations and injury recovery, you know, certain supplementation in athletes and recovery and performance. Um, so always trying to stay on top of it, you know, listening to podcasts, you know, reading research, because the science does change, you know, every couple of years, there's always something new coming out in research, um, which I really do like about the medical and, you know, sports science world, because it kind of makes you stay on top of it. Um, it kind of keeps everything new and exciting. You know, think of creatine in the nineties, you know, was not very like friendly. Everyone was like, no, 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 like, don't use that. Like, that's not safe. And then now it's like, oh no, it's safe. Like we have all these studies on creatine and there's like thousands and thousands of studies on it now, um, not just in athletes, but in various populations too. Then I guess shifting into this whole idea of like recent times. So obviously social media has become more prominent. Um, so I was just wondering, you know, with social media, sometimes may, people may claim to be, oh, I'm a nutritionist. And so a lot of these times accounts will say like, oh, this is what I do. Like, this is how I eat in a day. And people might just take that, but not always with the grain of salt. Um, so I was just wondering, like for our listeners, could you please kind of differentiate the difference between like what a nutritionist is versus um, what a registered dietitian is? Oh, yeah, great question. <laughs> um, yeah, so a nutritionist, typically they don't have, it can kind of vary on their education, what they may or may not have. Typically, it might just be some sort of online certification or online short course that they do to become a nutritionist, uh, but to become a dietitian and use the dietitian title, you have to be credentialed. Um, so after you sit for your exam, you have to have proof that you've done all the, um, you know, DPD courses, you've done your internship, you've gotten those experiences, and then you're able to sit for your um, board exam. Um, so you have to pass that exam <laughs> um, and sit for that board exam. So then you can have that title. Um, and in most states, they require you to be also a licensed dietitian. California does not. It's a little bit different. But most states, you also have to apply through typically the nursing board of the state. Um, so they will almost do like kind of like a second check to make sure that you're a dietitian. Um, so for example, a nutritionist could you know, like you said, you know, post things on social media, they could open their own type of private practice, you know, online coaching, things like that. Um, where if they try to apply to like an inpatient dietitian job, they, they would not be considered um, because they don't have that credential to their name. Um, so typically dietitians, you know, like I said, you know, we have four to six years of higher education where nutritionists may have a little bit, you know, they might have an associates or even a bachelor's, but they just don't have that extra 
level of teaching um, and the nutritional science portion of it too. So for me, we had to take chemistry, biochemistry, chemistry, organic chemistry. Um, so you have to take those nutritional sciences background courses. Um, so you can kind of fully understand like how things are metabolized in the body and process in the body um, and really dive deep into the you know, science portion of nutrition as well. No hard tasks too. I'm in biochem right now. And I'm sure a few of the listeners have been in biochem or yes. chem and that, that's hard work. So it's a tough cookie. It really is. I, I remember I was like, I don't like it. But then at the same time, when I got to my metabolism courses, I was like, oh, this makes sense now. Like I wouldn't get it if I didn't take those classes. So I did enjoy them though in the end. I can attest to that biochem is no, <laughs> it's no easy task. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I guess going off the same sort of topic of social media, another issue that I was kind of thinking about was like the perception of body image. So mm -hmm. I was just kind of wondering how you maybe just console athletes or maybe come to terms with any athletes that might have body image problems or feel that they might have to look a certain way because of social media? Yeah, so we actually did, you know, we've been kind of diving a little bit deeper in that lately. Um, like I know, for example, when I was interning um, back in 2018, um, I was working in a clinical hospital in Virginia and they had just had like a huge increase in all these eating disorder cases. So, you know, we, you know, when I was there, the dietitians were like, okay, we need to get more exposed to this because it is something that you kind of learn what bulimia is, what anorexia is, you kind of learn the basics in your undergraduate degree, um, but to specialize into eating disorder, um, you know, work as a dietitian isn't as common. Like I know a few people that do it, but it is very, um, it's very interdisciplinary um, and it's very unique to work with um, because typically food is the base of the problem in a sense, but there's a lot more to it, right? Um, so typically most eating disorder clinics will have, they'll have doctors and nurses, they'll have psychiatrists, you know, therapists, and really have that whole body approach because at the end of the day, food is just part of the problem. You know, eventually it becomes more of a mental and emotional, you know, all these different feelings. Um, so it's something we've definitely tried to expose ourselves more to, you know, trying to read the research, you know, read, you know, just different things to kind of learn more about it. Um, and I know we did a talk this summer with our athletic trainers um, about red S, which is relative energy deficiency syndrome in sport. Um, so that was the new terminology for the athlete, the female athlete triad. Um, and we did talk about body image because it is common where um, we do do body composition testing. We have the in-body testing, which is bioelectrical impedance. Um, whereas when I was at Penn State, we had the bod pod, which they look like a big egg, um, but they're the air displacement. So just different types of body composition testing. Um, but, you know, we'll test athletes and they'll be like, I want to be 5% body fat. And they do sometimes get kind of honed in on a certain number. At the end of the day, it's, you know, you know, people are like, what's the magic number? Like, what should I be? Like, what should my body composition be? And for a lot of people, it's just, you know, educating them and being like, well, are you performing well? Did you PR last week? You know, are you doing great in practice? Cause that at the end of the day is what matters. Not if your teammate or, you know, your, you know, friends are looking like you, or you want to look like a lot of athletes will be like, I want to look what I did when I was 18. And I was like, your body changes so much in college. You know, no one looks really what they did when they were 18. And that's absolutely normal. Um, so it is something that we deal with. Um, Typically, if we get athletes that have eating disorders, a lot of times they will be um, reaching, um, not reaching out, but they'll be getting treatment somewhere else or be working with their doctor or the doctors on campus. Um, and then as well, I know we have CAPS on campus. There are some different campus and local resources that will kind of, you know, touch base with them and see if they want to, you know, go to those services and things like that. Because at the end of the day, I'm a sports dietitian. I'm a clinical dietitian. I am not an eating disorder dietitian. It is a little bit different of a niche. Um, but it is something that it's kind of nice to have that whole approach. You know, we can kind of help with their um, performance as an athlete while they're also getting help um, for any eating disorder, anything like that, health problems that they're going on as well. Nice that you're able to like cross collaborate with other departments, yeah. UCSD, mm -hmm. you know, like look outside UCSD athletics. To support oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Would you say that like, diet and nutrition is more important or rather like physical activity? Like I think it's a really big combination of both. Um, I think 
you know, they say your body's made in the kitchen. That's like always what people say, but I mean, it is, you know, cause if you're performing, you're working hard every day, you're, you know, you're lifting really well, you're running, your workouts are good. You're competing well. But, you know, I like to think of it as if you're doing all of that while eating, eating pizza, burgers, and French fries, like how would you be forming if you added fruits, vegetables, whole grains, lean proteins, you know, and that's something I bring up with athletes because we want them to understand too, that like, we don't want you just eating, you know, healthy all the time, not having a cookie not having, you know, a burger, not going out to eat, you know, finding that 80, 20 is what we kind of say, you know, 80% of your diet on, you know, lean proteins, you know, fruits, veggies, high fiber, things like that, that are all good for not only performance, but like immune health, whole body health, preventative disease health, things like that. But it's saving that 20% cause we'll have athletes be like, I can I eat a cookie every day? And I'm like, of course you can eat a cookie. You know, uh, we're not, you know, dietitians, we like to get called the food police, but that's not our job either. You know, I'm not here to say you can't eat this or that, you know, it's finding that balance of getting different foods in the diet um, that are going to not only make us perform really well and make us, you know, advance our performance, but also kind of have that like happy fun moment of, I want a little bit of ice cream. It's been a really long week. You know, we just had midterms or whatever it is. So you uh, advise your students a lot, but do you ever find that you advise something and maybe like the students, like they agree, but then, you know, they, maybe they go home or they just, they get off track. Like, how do you, uh, I guess, account for that? Yeah, um, that's definitely a challenge. Um, Cause typically when we meet with athletes individually, we'll meet with them and maybe follow up in a few weeks. And then it's kind of on the athlete, you know, we are there to provide that education, to provide that support if they want to reach out to us, but then it is kind of up to them, right? You know, it's up to them to make those changes. You know, if they want to make those changes in their body, you know, make that make that weight gain goal, you know, build that muscle, you know, if they're, you know, putting that work into their nutrition, they're going to be great, but it's up to them to put that work in. Um, so that is definitely a challenge because you will have athletes be like, Oh, like, did you add more fruits and veggies? Like that was a huge goal for you. And they're like, no, not really. And then the conversation may die out on email. Right. So it can definitely be a challenge because it is, you know, when we are there in person, it's a lot of faces to remember, <laughs> especially when they're all wearing like the same thing, you know, UCSD rowing or UCSD basketball, you know, it can kind of be hard to put everyone's name to a face. Um, but it's just kind of, you know, being that person, you know, being present, being there during presentations and team talks, usually we get good questions too. And a lot of it can be their teammates too. You know, are they supporting each other? A lot of times they all live with each other. So I think that can make a difference too. Um, when they're all able to go shopping together and cook together and things like that, I think make a difference too. So um, I know you mentioned, you know, you provide a educational education for the scholar athletes. Um, if you don't mind sharing, do you find like a sort of trend with fad diets that you're often debunking with them that they bring up? Yes, <laughs> that's a lot of nutrition. Too. That's a lot of being a dietitian, um, not just in athletes, but in like inpatient. I've worked in like long-term care and people in their eighties and they're like, I want to be a vegan. And I was like, you're like 80, like, don't, you don't need that. It's fine. Um, so it's definitely really common. And that's, you know, kind of a challenge of the career. You know, if you want to be a dietitian, I think social media is such a huge influence, you know, what documentaries coming out, you know, things like that really can impact, you know, and challenge dietitians in a way to kind of be like, okay, well, I know you heard that, but have you read any research? Have you backed it up? You know, where did you hear that? Where was the Google source from, you know, things like that. Um, so I know the big one last year was when Game Changers, the documentary came out. Oh my God. It like came out and like within like a week, we had like coaches emailing us, athletes asking us. And we were just like, Oh my gosh. And I watched it. I don't know if Jasmine ever watched it. I forced myself to watch it just out of curiosity. Um, but it's definitely challenging because from an outsider's view, you know, you're like, wow, this is great. Like these people are so in shape, but you know, you kind of have to put yourself into that perspective of they probably have people cooking for them. They have, you know, probably multiple support staff members, doctors, dietitians, other people calculating things for them, you know, getting them onto these plans. Um, and for college athletes, it can be difficult. You know, it can be difficult 
Um, cause we still have athletes that want to do plant-based, um, cause there are really great benefits to plant-based just from, you know, a general health and cardiovascular perspective. Um, there is a lot of research in that, but again, athletes are a different population. So it's part of that education of athletes are different. You know, it can be really challenging for, especially male athletes being, you know, generally just bigger in body size to get that amount of protein, the volume of food they have to eat, um, just in, you know, terms of like beans, quinoa, tofu, it can be a large, large volume of food, which can sometimes be a challenge, but there are athletes that we've had that I've met with that do plant-based and they do really well on it. Um, because they're, if they're depending on their sport, their activity level, you know, just how much time they're willing to put in. Cause sometimes it can be more prep to prep plant-based proteins because typically they're lower in protein than a chicken breast is like 20 grams, um, where you would have to eat like double, you know, maybe like a cup of beans to get to that. Um, so it can really vary. Um, I know keto diet, um, we don't get that one as much. Um, it's kind of died out a little bit, <laughs> but it's still pretty popular. Um, the big thing with that one, I think is that, you know, educating athletes, like, what do we tell them? Like our first slide in our team topic talk is on the macronutrients and telling them that the carbohydrates fuel your body and all the exercise you do. So when you don't have them, what's going to happen to performance? So, I mean, it sounds silly to educate them on, but um, it's just kind of understanding because they may see that fat or see someone on social media or something, you know, doing really well in it. But again, how many people are there working for them, helping them, you know, does it depend on their sport? Cause most of the keto science that I've read is all on ultra marathon runners, which makes sense when you're running like a hundred miles to eat that many carbs to fuel you can be challenging. So that's most of the research that I've seen, um, on keto, but again, you know, there's new research coming out all the time, but that's definitely a challenge of the career. I would say. I wish I had your, uh, workshop. I, cause I think last year I, I tried the keto diet and honestly, I didn't do enough uh, research beforehand. So I was definitely feeling tired. And so I, I see the value of your, uh, your, like, um, your workshops and your events. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Me too. I, I agree. Like I tried keto like last winter quarter and mm -hmm. I just, my energy level just like went down. Yeah. And I mean, some people do it and they say they feel great. They're performing well. And I'm like to each their own. Like if you feel great, like I'm not going to tell you to not do it if you're performing well and everything's fine and okay. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those things too, that we don't have a lot of research, you know, especially in the general population, there's not a lot of research on it. Um, so typically people do it for weight loss and they're like, oh my God, I lost 10 pounds. But again, the other thing I'm like in my little new dietitian brain, I'm like carbohydrates hold on to water in the body. So when you don't have carbohydrates, you lose a lot of water weight. So then people get dehydrated and a lot of the weight they initially lose can be water weight. It's like, oh, yep, your 10 pounds was maybe just some water weight, <laughs> you know, and like little things like that. I think, I mean, I'm not going to say that I haven't, you know, maybe fallen to trap to something like that. Um, I think one of the big things for me, at least, where I was like, okay, maybe this isn't working because it wasn't sustainable for me. Like it wasn't something that I could, I feel like, oh, yeah, I can do this for the rest of my life. I can make this a lifestyle change. Um, at least that that's how it was for me. Um, so I guess another question that I have is, I know with, you know, college uh, students of uh, finances might play a part. So I was wondering, like, how do you um, some like an example of sorts, like, how do you educate them into buying food that's good, but like also staying on a budget, which I know can sometimes be a problem. Yeah, that's definitely a challenge. Um, last year, when we were in person more, we would take some teams on, on grocery store tours. So we would take them to a grocery store um, because there are athletes that come in freshman year that have literally never shopped for groceries. Um, so they don't know what to buy. They might just buy what their roommate buys or just kind of walk around and grab random things. Um, so that was really nice to kind of walk them around because um, we make a lot of handouts too. That's kind of our job too, is making different handouts um, to post on our social media page, um, but also to provide for the athletes and things like that. Um, so we made handouts on grocery store tours. So looking, you know, fruits and vegetables, making sure you're getting those, you know, making sure you're buying stuff for snacks, you know, getting proteins. Um, and, you know, the thing with budgeting too, you know, that's definitely a challenge, um, especially being in California, it's very expensive <laughs> to live here. Um, 
So that can be a challenge. So I think, you know, just little tips and tricks for them, you know, things that can help them. Um, so I know like fruits and vegetables is one. Um, they don't want to buy frozen ones because there's a misconception that they're not as healthy for you, but they are. Um, you know, they pick that fruit or vegetable and they freeze it immediately. Um, so a lot of times that can be an easy swap um, to buy, you know, the steamable bags of vegetables versus the fresh vegetables, especially when they're not in season, they can tend to be a little bit more pricey. Um, fruits too can be more expensive when they're fresh versus frozen. So that can be an easy swap or buying things in bulk, um, you know, proteins the same way, you know, you can buy them frozen or fresh um, or buy them in bulk fresh and freeze some and keep some, you know, there are different tips and tricks. And then I know there's a Triton food pantry on campus. Um, so they can always use that. There are a couple of local resources too, um, just to kind of help them out. Like I know when COVID hit, um, we donated all our food because we had a whole fueling station full of food that we like, were like, oh, uh, we don't know when we're going back to campus. So they like filled up the back of the truck with all of our food and like donated it to the Triton Food Pantry because we weren't going to be there, didn't know when we'd be back. Um, so we donated that food um, to them. So there are resources for them. And then we've done stuff too. Um, I know last summer we did like a demo with them where the base was chicken and rice. That's the base of your meal. And then we made that into six different meals by just adding a different vegetable or a different sauce. So just showing them kind of the simplicity that cooking can be. It doesn't have to be a four course meal that they have to make. It can be as simple as throwing a bunch of vegetables on a tray and throwing them in the oven and then you're ready for the week, right? Um, so stuff like that. That's really useful information. Like I never mm -hmm. knew that frozen foods, like frozen fruits were like just as good as like fresh. Yes. Even like, even like fruit cups, like things like that, like totally okay. I eat fruit cups all the time um, because it's something easy, you know, it's something to have on hand because sometimes your fresh fruit may run out and then you're like, I don't have any fruit to eat today, you know, to have those extra things on hand. Um, Cause even in our fueling station, usually we have fresh bananas, apples, and clementines, but then we have like the little applesauce pouches that you usually get for little kids, but they love them. You know, we get, there's one that's like a fruit and vegetable blend that Costco has and they love them. They're like, it has carrots in it. And I was like, it only tastes like the mango part of it. Like it's fine. Um, Cause it's just a sneaky way to add in fruits and veggies. It's something different for them to try um, and just kind of keep it more exciting. Cause there are athletes that are like, I don't eat fruit. And I was like, well, you better start trying to eat the fruit. <laughs> At least one, <laughs> try something. <laughs> Going back to like occupation as a whole, do you find that your occupation has, I guess, some influence or impact on the way that you choose to exercise and maintain your well-being? Yeah, um, it does a little bit. Um, I think I've always been interested in like exercise. Um, so I think for me, you know, obviously I went from running track in high school to going to college. Um, I was originally thinking of going to a division two school and competing, um, but then kind of chose to go to Penn State and go more for you know my major in nutrition. Um, but for me, I always was like, okay, five days a week, you're gonna work out and you're gonna do something. Um, so for me, I was very much just like lifting, running in the gym or running outside, you know, pending the weather in Pennsylvania. It's very crazy <laughs> where Penn State is. It could be snowing at seven o'clock in the morning and like sunshine by noon. Um, so it's very interesting in that sense to have more seasons than we do in San Diego. Um, so I did that different workout classes. And then when I was in college too, just kind of being in different groups and organizations, um, I ran a Tough Mudder with some friends of mine. I ran a half marathon one summer with friends. So just kind of doing different stuff to just kind of see like what I like. And then I ran a half marathon last summer, last spring um, here in California too, just to kind of do something different because exercise can get monotonous in a way. And I'm not like a big workout class person. I'm more of like a run lift person. And that's like all I do. Wait, just an aside, how were those marathons or half marathons? It's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. The Tough Mudder I did was in Pennsylvania um, and it was like pretty chilly when we ran it. And I know their courses vary depending on where they are. I think the shortest they do is like seven miles, maybe. Um, mine was like 11 miles. I we ended up doing a longer one. Um, so it was really hard because it was cold. Um, and there we had the one obstacle where you jump in like a tank of ice and you have to like literally submerge yourself in the ice. And then you come out the other side and you're like, why am I doing this? Um, but I was just happy I finished, you know, climbing walls. And it's fun too, to like do with a group of friends. And there was like, I mean, there was groups of like older guys. They were just like throwing people over the walls to like help everyone. And they were just, it was a lot of fun, honestly. I mean, it was hard, but it was fun. And then both the half marathons 
I've done have been super fun. I mean, they're hard. I don't know if I'd ever do a 26. I don't think I can do a full marathon. Um, but it's fun to train for them and just kind of do something different too. Yeah, I remember um, I did a mud run with one of my close friends. Um, it was Lauren. She was on the, our very first podcast. Um, we did the mud run in camp at Camp Pendleton um, oh. during high school. Yeah, it was definitely not as long as yours, <laughs> but it was def- it was fun. Um, I the what I remember is we had to like tape our socks to our shoes just to make sure that like we wouldn't lose our shoes, you know, after climbing out of the mud on a few obstacles. But yeah, it's pretty fun. And I can attest to that. Yeah, the half marathon I ran in California was on Camp Pendleton too. And it was through like a super hilly part. And I was like, the lead pack was going so fast. They were like three miles ahead of us. And I was like, oh, four or five. I was like, I'm going to just keep my own pace. <laughs> I was like, I'm not that fast. I hope exercise is medicine maybe one day we can all do a run together you know (laughs) one day (laughs) when the world's back to normal right (laughs) just wondering if you don't mind sharing have you had like struggles with body image when you were like running or like really active in track Mm mm-hmm I think I like, I haven't had it like that bad, but I think it's, I think it's just common for girls. You know, when we did our talk with the athletic trainers, you know, reading research and watching different webinars on it, you know, girls, I think especially are like very affected by body image, you know, comparing ourselves to other people. Um, I think one of the articles I read, it was like as young as like 12 or 14, you know, girls are like, I want to look like this person or this person, or my thighs are too big or my bust is too big. You know, I think it's really common. You know, I think I definitely had that a little bit, you know, running track and being like, okay, well, this person looks this good. And like, I eat really good. Like, why don't I look like that? But I think at the end of the day, I just kind of try and put it in the back of my mind and think, okay, like, am I running faster? You know, kind of put myself in the athlete mindset of, am I running faster? Am I lifting? Okay. You know, even during the pandemic, I was like, am I doing some activity (laughs) because it's very limited, you know? So just trying to do something versus nothing for me, um, really helps. Cause there are days, you know, today, being at the hospital for six, seven hours, you know, getting all that time and getting into patient rooms, you know, I'm just up and down stairs. That is my exercise. So it can just depend on the day too, for sure. Fun question. I've been thinking this like the whole podcast, wasn't sure whether to ask it, but uh, you mentioned Gatorade, I think once about, you know, like regarding electrolytes. Mm -hmm. So I've always heard that Gatorade is great for electrolytes, but then I also hear that like water is like, you know, like the divine drink or something it's like the best thing yeah is there like ever a time when like Gatorade perhaps is like better than water or water is better than Gatorade because like I drink both but like mostly water but I've always wanted to like ask about that yeah yeah that's always a big educational barrier for us too especially last year we have an, a Gatorade machine in Spano so the athletes could come in and fill up their bottles with Gatorade um, obviously that is closed down this year because of COVID, which has almost kind of been a blessing in disguise. Cause yes, Gatorade does have purposes. You know, it's great when it's really hot, an athlete maybe hasn't drank, they have a really long workout. Um, because the, you know, kind of the background of Gatorade is that electrolyte and carbohydrate combo, you know, the carbohydrate primarily and Gatorade, of course, being from sugar and glucose and things like that. Um, so, you know, it does have those roles where, you're going to be working out for an extended period of time, you know, what happens in our body is we burn through the glycogen or like storage form of carbohydrate in our liver and our muscles. So if you burn through that, obviously the gas tank is empty and you need to fill it with some carbohydrates. And then of course, protein too, with recovery, nutrition, you know, education on that with the athletes as well. Um, so I think, you know, educating them, okay, if you're work out is like 30 minutes, you're probably not strenuously burning all those calories. So you might not need the Gatorade. Um, so that was always kind of an educational barrier for us. Um, but this year we have a product we've gotten instead, um, that is called drip drop. Um, and it's an electrolyte powder mix. Um, so it's nice. It comes in individual packets. Um, so we've given that to teams for athletes. You know, it, uh, some of our teams are working out in the afternoon now, cause it's still weirdly hot in California. <laughs> 
Um, so we've given them to them. Um, when our teams start traveling, we would give them last year, especially when our teams went to Hawaii because it's so humid, we would send them with noon tablets. That's another electrolyte tablet brand. Um, we would send them with those because the thing with the noons and the drip drop as well is they're a lot higher in sodium and potassium and some other electrolytes as well. So Gatorade is a good source of them, but for, you know, the really big humidity changes, things like that, you know, it was really good to have those other products that are going to be higher in electrolytes. Um, and then we're still providing those carbohydrate snacks. So it's kind of just a different combination of just Gatorade versus, you know, maybe an electrolyte tablet um, with a carbohydrate source as well. I was also wondering, I guess, on like the topic of hydration, um, I know for athletes, you know, like they're working out and for extended periods of time, often more than most. Um, so they're probably sweating a lot. So I was wondering, like, how do you encourage them to drink more water? Or, like, do you have any tips and tricks for them? Because I know they probably have to take in a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, especially on when it's hot and in the summer. Um, and depending on the sport, I mean, thinking like soccer is running a lot, you know, some of our you know, basketball is running back and forth a lot. Rowing will they'll sometimes practice on the erg machines for like one to two hours. Um, so, I mean, they're strenuously working out. Um, so they can have really high sweat losses. So we always touch on hydration in our team talks um, because it is important. Um, and athletes are provided water bottles. Um, or a lot of them will buy their own too. Um, so we always encourage them, you know, make sure you're filling them, make sure if you only have a small one, bring a second one, especially since, um, water fountains may be closed on campus and marked off right now with COVID, um, to encourage them to get that water in because a lot of our teams and a lot of our workout classes that we have right now that are all outdoors, um, they're early. Like our earliest one is at six o'clock in the morning. Um, so educating athletes on don't wake up and roll out of bed and come to practice, you know, making sure you're drinking like eight to 16 ounces of water, even just sipping it on the way to your workout to get that hydration. Cause you want to start in a hydrated state. You don't want to start dehydrated because it's just going to continue to worsen. Um, and then another one, we talk about them too. It is weird, but there's a lot of different charts out there. I know Gatorade, I think has one too. Um, but there's a chart on pea color. So looking at your pea color to see how hydrated you are. Um, so that can be an easy way to tell, okay, is my pea more clear? Is it light yellow? Okay, I'm hydrated. And when we get dark yellow into the orange, you know, we're getting dehydrated. We also have a lot of electrolyte losses at that point. So that's where we can educate them. You know, if you're having darker yellow urine, you know, feeling those signs and symptoms of dehydration, like lightheaded, dizziness. I mean, athletes have told us like, oh yeah, I like saw stars when I went to hit the volleyball. And I'm like, that's, you know, we don't want that. Like, that's a huge no, like we don't want that. You know, so educating on hydration, um, use of electrolytes. You know, I met with an athlete uh, before um, a while ago, but talking about muscle cramps because she was just having really bad muscle cramps after workouts. And it may have been a combination of just maybe not eating the best foods, but then also talking about electrolytes and maybe increasing her electrolytes. Um, to make sure that her body was going into that workout well hydrated um, to decrease that risk of muscle cramps and potentially injuring a muscle um, just from the, the muscles being too dehydrated during the workout. Stay hydrated. Yes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no sports dietitian like Nicole, but I found that like, I guess for listeners to, or for me and in, in my like personal journey to like drink more water, I found that using a water bottle with a straw like, mm -hmm. makes all the difference. I don't know why, but like my roommates tried it too. And they all agree, like something about a straw is just so easy to like sip. Yeah. I don't know if there's own research on it. I don't know if there's studies, but I, I have heard that before too, that having bottles with straws in them, you can kind of like gulp or sip it more. Um, so it depends like mine. I just have like the, you know, your standard like hydro flask and I like it, but at the same time, I like the flip top ones or like yeah, like a cup with a straw on it because you can like sip it faster. It is like a weird thing, but like, I, I feel like it's totally like true. And I think even just carrying it around, like I'll like take a water bottle with me, like in my apartment, like I will carry it with me because it just, it's that constant reminder of like, okay, keep hydrating, like keep drinking water. Um, Cause especially now it's like, I don't want to risk getting sick or anything. So, you know, making sure we're like eating well, exercising, hydrating, all of that. Definitely agree. And um, one last question before we wrap things up. Uh, do you have any advice for people that want to become sports dietitians right now in college and are thinking about it? Like any advice in general? 
Yeah. Um, I think my biggest advice is just to kind of get experience. Um, so I know, for example, one of our student workers, she is, I want to say a bio major, but she might want to go into some kind of athletics career, but she's not really sure yet. Um, so that's kind of why she applied to be a student worker with us to kind of gain that experience. Um, so I think a lot of it is from volunteering. I mean, that's how I got exposed to it. I heard about the sports nutrition class. I mean, it was so competitive just to get in that class um, and then get that independence study, study experience. Um, but it was something that not a lot of people got. Um, so I think it all depends on like, do you want to go for it? You know, do you have those connections like using LinkedIn, using different professional connections um, to meet other sports dietitians, to talk with them, talk about their career. Um, because I, I truly feel like a lot of sports dietitians, a lot of dietitians in general, we're all very open about our careers. You know, we're always interested because we, you know, dietitians have to do an internship program. Um, so there has to be other dietitians that are willing to train you and really, you know, willing to give back to that, you know, new generation, which I think is a really great thing about the career because there's always going to be that turnover of like training the new dietitians, you know, training someone else. Um, so I think getting exposure, you know, kind of getting volunteer experience, things like that. Cause I volunteered um, in other areas too on, in my undergraduate career, just to kind of see what I maybe would like. Um, Cause at the end of the day, you really don't know what you like until you're actually kind of working or for me, you know, kind of interning and kind of seeing, okay, like I like clinical, this is really fun. I don't really like WIC or food service, you know, maybe not my thing, but you know, working with athletes is fun. And then another thing too, too is um, if there's any potential to do like any conferences, any like national meetings. I know a lot of them are all virtual, but I know I did the ACSM meeting when I was in my undergraduate career. Um, so I went to that meeting, which is really fun because of course it was a lot of sports science, but there are also some dietitians there, but more on the sports science side. And then as a dietitian, FENCI is our national one. So it's the Food and Nutrition Conference and Expo. Um, so I went to that when I was an intern, which was really fun because it's all lectures and presentations. So you can kind of pick which presentations you want to go to. So I went to some sports nutrition ones, you know, stayed and asked questions as silly as it, you might be like a little nervous in the corner, but like asking questions, introducing yourself to someone, getting a business card, you know, you know, building that connection with someone to just kind of see what's out there, I think was really nice too. Um, and then for dietitians too, there's a lot of because um, we do have a national organization, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, and then there are subgroups of that. Um, so SCAN is the terminology for the one that's the sports cardiovascular and wellness one. Um, and then there's also um, an organization called the CPSDA um, that is only sports dietitians. So I think almost every dietitian that works with like NFL, MLB, NHL, um, a lot of the big collegiate um, athlete dietitians, they um, practical dietitians who work with like special ops and military, um, they all are in that organization because it's just a huge collaboration, right? So they all are able to share new information, new research um, and different things like that. So it's kind of nice because if you're interested in it, there are a lot of routes. There's always education. There's always people I think willing to teach, which is really fun. I think that's great advice. I think exposure is probably the best way to figure out like, yes, this is where I want to be. <laughs> I feel like you don't know until you try, right? So like, you're not really sure. Cause I mean, I know people that, I mean, they wanted to be a dietitian. They were so set on it. And then like our senior year of undergrad, they were like, I'm going to go be a nurse. And I was like, you've had three years to figure this out and you're switching now, you know? So it is something I, you know, cause my mom joked with me because my sister switched her major a lot. Um, my mom was like, you get one major, Nicole. And I was like, oh, I better pick the right one. Um, but, you know, getting that exposure, you know, kind of seeing what you like. If you want to work in the athletics world, you know, do you want to work at a university? Do you want to work in the pro world? You know, are you willing to move to a university where, you know, the universities are only here and there, right? So, you know, I think a lot of sports dietitians too, you know, some of them will work in one university for a long time. Like the dietitian at Penn State that I worked with, she was there for over 20 years, I want to say. Um, but there are universities where they pretty much have a new dietitian every few years. So it's almost like you're in the military where you're moving a lot too, um, to kind of get new exposure, get into different programs, different conferences and divisions and things like that. Okay. That's great advice. Um, so hopefully y'all took note of that. And of course, a big thank you uh, to Nicole for taking the time to speak with us today. Um, so uh, for our listeners out there, if you'd like to learn more about our student organization, exercise medicine, uh, we do have a GBM coming up this one or Tuesday, uh, which is week eight at 8 p.m. So, so if you want any more updates um, from our organization, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, or even to view our past podcasts, be sure to look for us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Music. 
So we hope you all have a great rest of your weekend and thank you very much.